We've been talking through this series on living mission, uh, specifically through the book of Acts, and even more specifically in Acts chapter 1, and then even most specifically Acts chapter 1 verse 8, uh, where Jesus says that you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria. We talked about that reality last week, which is a difficult one to fully grasp. And then also to the ends of the earth. And so this morning, uh, we're setting aside time to talk about what it means to be God's witnesses, to be the witnesses of Jesus and his gospel to the ends of the earth. Uh, Because that is a call for everyone, not just those who go. Uh, We've talked a lot about some of the geographical implications of this verse and how the book of Acts in many ways is laid out to understand that that first the gospel goes to Jerusalem and then to Judea and then to Samaria and ultimately to the ends of the Roman Empire uh, through the ministry of Paul and those like him. Uh, And there's great truth to the geographical realities, but uh, in many ways, and we began to talk about this last week, uh, it's also important to think about the, the idea that what Jesus is after is that each life of witness has global implications. And so for all of us, We are like the proverbial stone that is chucked into the middle of the pond and has a great splash in the middle and sinks to the bottom never to see the impact that it has on the surface where the ripples flow to the ends of the pond. And so it is for us. Little did the disciples know that in the very next chapter, not only would they be witnesses in Jerusalem, But they'd be witnesses to the ends of the earth because there were people from all tongues gathered in Jerusalem for this festival of Pentecost. And it was the coming of the Spirit that enabled them to speak in all of these different languages so people would understand because their life was fully given. And so Acts 1.8, though some people would argue is really realized in the complete book of Acts, in many ways is completely realized in the very next chapter. And friends, the reality is the same for us. What you do here has eternal significance. How you live now has global implications. The choices you make at work matter halfway around the world. The choices you make at home in the privacy of your closed-in home have unbelievable ramifications. You do not know where your children will go and who they will impact that will then go somewhere to impact another person who will then go somewhere to impact another person. We told stories about people like D.L. Moody, who would go on to be these great uh, conference speakers and win thousands of people to Jesus and establish Bible colleges and radio ministries and churches and publishing houses. But few people talk about the man on the street who led him to Christ. Without him, none of that exists. And in the same ways, if the apostles could stand here now, they would realize that the choices they made in following Jesus matter to a growing new church in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. So your life matters. The choices that you make matter. The way that you choose to live your life, what you value, have eternal and global significance. And you are, as you live, as you drive, as you work, as you walk, and as you play, fulfilling Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But how much more to fulfill it in grandeur 
by being completely aware and cognizant of the possibilities around us. Now, it's that much more possible because of the world that we live in. This unbelievably multicultural society where, in fact, we almost don't have to wait for generations to pass to have global impact because we can have it now because all peoples of the world have sort of come together in all kinds of different places. It's here now. I remember a few years ago, I was uh, a youth pastor and we did a combined trip and we went to my hometown of Reading, Pennsylvania, uh, which is... I don't know, 30 miles from here, but 17 hours via Route 222. (laughs) Um, And we went into the city and we did simple projects like I'm hoping to do this summer here uh, with cubes and making bracelets and sharing Jesus with people. And I had a man pull me aside in Redding, Pennsylvania and said, who is Jesus? Never heard of Jesus right here. So Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when they say to the ends of the earth, it's you. Now, in the ripple effects and in the realities of our world. We have uh, such an awesome privilege to have Jeff Miller as part of our church, as one of the leaders of our advisory committee. And in many ways, as Jeff is part of this church, he's a representation of what God is doing here to the ends of the earth. Jeff has just come back from a week in Brazil, and before that he was in Honduras. Jeff has an unbelievable job because of some of the great perks for it, but more important than that, because of of what he and his ministry are accomplishing in terms of raising money to support impoverished children around the world. And so I wanted Jeff to come up and just give a brief overview of what he's doing to give you just a tangible way of understanding that your ministry to Jeff is impacting people around the world. So, Jeff? We talk sort of about the ripple effect, and we want to talk about what it means then uh, to go to the ends of the earth. So I have this interesting way of of talking about missions, and if you've been following the new blog that we have on our website, you are ahead of some people on this. If you haven't, you can go to our website, and then there's a one, something there called Adam's Blog or something like that. And you go in there and just put your email address in on the right-hand side, and you'll automatically sign up so that every time a new one posts, you'll get emailed about it. Now, we say that at Hope Alliance, we don't use the word missions. I think the word missions gives us uh, only part of what uh, God intended. So we drop the S. We say mission. Uh, you got it here, living mission. Uh, And by dropping the S, we actually have a more profound meaning. By losing a letter, we have bigger meaning. Uh, And here's why. Uh, When I grew up, the word missions was for some other people to do. And we would hear from them periodically, uh, and they would sacrifice greatly to go around the world um, and and to teach uh, the truth of Christ and uh, the reality of the gospel to all kinds of people. And they would come in and we would hear their stories and we would pray for them and we would send them money. But it was always something other. And as I continued to read the scriptures, as I grew in faith, I came to be compelled that in reality we all have a missionary call. That it's not just for some, it's for everyone. And so now when I talk about mission, here's what I say. And and so you might say it's semantics and maybe I just like it, I don't know. I say there are some who take Jesus' call to go by going. And there are some who take Jesus' call to go by staying. 
And all of us together are missionaries doing the work of God's mission to the world. But we do want to talk about those who go by going. Uh, and so if you have a Bible, you can open to Matthew chapter 24, this famous verse, Matthew 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This verse was one of the driving forces that led uh, then Presbyterian pastor Albert Benjamin Simpson to begin forming what he called missionary societies, gatherings of all kinds of people from all different denominations who were passionate to see the gospel go to foreign lands. And you sitting here are the result of that. Those missionary societies became what is now called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Passionate about the centrality of Jesus passionate about mission, reaching people close, regionally, and far. And this was a driving force, this verse. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations, and then the end will come. I want to say three quick things about it. And I promise, well, I I will do my best to be quick as possible. The first is, look at the context of this statement. If you spend time later this afternoon reading Matthew chapter 24, none of it is good news. Yet we're called to bring good news, right? There's all this stuff about wars and rumors of wars, famines. Uh, Sort of this is what Jesus has been called the Olivet Discourse. Jesus is on the Mount of Olives. The disciples are asking about the end of time, the end of days, what will it be like. And Jesus sort of paints this grim picture. And then in in the... at this, this moment of, of centrality in the story, Jesus says, but you'll be my witnesses to all nations, and then the end will come. But if we just lift this verse out of the context and don't deal with the context, and I'm not suggesting we're going to do a long discourse here on the eschatology and the end of times. Uh, that's for another time. But to understand that the context of mission is always in the context of struggle. Jesus never paints it any other way. But when he sends the disciples out in Luke chapter 10, his, uh, his uh, words of encouragement to them are, you will be sheep among wolves. Context of mission is always struggle, and in fact, always sacrifice. Jesus would later allude to the fact that all of these men would lose their lives for the sake of the gospel. But the aim of mission is the nations. So, if you can hearken back to 7th grade geometry, or geometry, geography, there you go. Geometry will have no bearing on this discussion, I hope. Uh, Geography. Uh, you think of nations, and so you, you would have these maps. Remember the teachers, they don't have them anymore. Now there's like smart boards and things like that. They would pull down the roll-up maps, and then you would see all of these different colors, and those represented different countries. Uh, and the maps are changing constantly because countries are combining, countries are breaking apart. And, but our, our, con- our context, our understanding nations, is always sort of this, this geopolitical and, and land-based understanding of nations. And yet, God has never thought of the world in terms of 
nations in that way. In fact, the Greek word here uh, for all nations is ponte ethna, and it means all peoples. See, if you think about it, in the days of Jesus, there weren't nations. There was the Roman Empire and everyone else, which was barely anyone, right? So there was empire. But in the midst of empire, there were people. And so if you think about it, even in the Old Testament, you don't hear about nations, do you? You hear about the Amorites and the Philistines and the Assyrians and the Israelites and the Egyptians. People groups. And so at the heart of God's aim for mission is that the gospel would go forth to all peoples. To all people groups. Whether that be people who have never heard uh, at the far extents of the earth or people who have never heard in Bethlehem. Allentown, Easton, or wherever is home for you. Where the gospel is never heard. See, the context for mission is struggle and sacrifice, but the aim of mission is people. That this gospel of the kingdom would be offered to every group of people around the world. And then what? And then the end will come. Right? We think of the end in Bible terms as this like catastrophic um, Armageddon. Uh, and there's, some of that is in the Bible. I'm not suggesting it's not true. But I don't think that is what is after here. Because the disciples, when they were asking Jesus, tell us about the end, they were talking about the good end, not the bad end. And then he kind of breaks their hearts with all this horrible news of all the things that are going to come because they simply want him to be installed as Messiah, ruler over all of Israel. Hey, when is the good kingdom going to come? And he starts talking about wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines and people fighting each other. And if you're pregnant, you better run for the hills when this comes. And this is like terrifying news. And then in the context of it, he says, you're going to be my witnesses to all people groups. And then the end will come. Then Jesus will be king. Jesus will be ruler. He will be installed. He will reign and rule. So the ultimate aim of mission, certainly the aim is that all people groups are here, but the ultimate aim of mission is the reign and rule of Jesus. The return, reign, and rule of Jesus Christ. And that is what the entirety of God's people have been after from the beginning. It's how it was, and it's what we've been after since things went awry in the garden. Why do we participate in mission? One, because God loves people and so do we. And so this message is for all people. And two, so that Jesus can return and reign. There's an old saying in the, in the early days of the Christian Missionary Alliance called, bring back the king. And they would have these big rallies for missions because they wanted the the word to go into every part of the world so that Jesus could come and return. And we're not talking about some sort of eschatological eschatological reality wherein we can create such a good world that Jesus can come back in a good place. We're talking about fulfilling the call that God has given us so that at the right time, Jesus can come back. This is our endeavor. It's why we plant churches in Bethlehem. It's why we reach out to our neighbors. It's why we care about places like Truth for Women and and women who are being rescued from 
the sex trade. It's why we care about what Jeff and Child Fund are doing around the world. It's why what Alliance workers around the world are doing is so important to who we are as people of God. But remember that mission always goes forward in the context of sacrifice and struggle. Jesus has never promised us a comfortable existence as the kingdom goes forward. We don't move forward on the throne, as it were, being carried through in this wonderful procession that the gospel is going forward, and this is wonderful. We go in the context of wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, and famine, and all the other realities of struggle and heartache that we face in this world. And the mission comes at great cost to us, at great sacrifice to us, at a willingness to give up certain things so that this greater thing could be known to people who have never heard it and to those around us. It doesn't happen simply when at the end of the year you have a little bit extra that you can kick in. It happens when you decide that this is greater than all the other things in my life and so we're going to do it. You decide that and so you join a core group that's going to plant a church. You decide that and so you, you begin to tithe your money as soon as you earn it rather than simply give to God what's left over. You decide to go without something so that you can sponsor a child in Honduras. You decide to go without something so that you can empower workers in Burkina Faso. This is the context of mission. And the aim is people. And the ultimate is the return of Christ. That at that moment, he would welcome us into his kingdom and say those famous words that are not meant simply for those who have passed on, but for those who enter into the presence of Christ. Well done. Good. Faithful servants. Enter into this rest which has been created for you. So I ask you, at the close of this month-long discussion on mission, what does God have to say to you? What does he have to say to you about personal finances? What does he have to say to you about personal sacrifice? What does he have to say to you about the impact of what you're doing now to the ends of the earth? What does he have to say to you about your conduct at work? How is he calling you into mission locally, regionally, to people who are different from you, to your enemies, to people to the ends of the earth? And what are the implications for it? And are you willing to begin having this conversation with God about what might need to change? One of the greatest, I think, one of the greatest things about the beginnings of our church, and hopefully it creates great DNA for years and years to come, is that we decided that just as we ask people to tithe from their, uh, from their income to God's work, we as a church tithe right back to the international work that God is doing through the Alliance. So one-tenth of everything that comes in to us goes right back out to support people in Burkina Faso and in Cambodia and in Mongolia and in places where we cannot even tell you where they are or who they are because it is so sensitive and dangerous. What you're doing here matters there. Let's pray.
Jesus, we admit that when you said, go and make disciples, uh, there was not an opt-out clause. And so we pray that you continue this conversation with us as to what it means to be on mission with you. Here, regionally, to people who are different, and to the ends of the earth. We pray that you might bless our church as we seek to be involved in all aspects of mission and make it a core part of who we are as a growing community of faith. Jesus, but all of this is only discussion in our hearts because you've changed us. Because by your gospel, you've birthed in us a new story that is quite different from the way we lived before you. And so we thank you that you are the one who loved us first. We thank you that you are the one who has given us all good things. We thank you for the centrality of your gospel in our life. And we thank you for what you are doing around the world to change the hearts and lives of people. And we thank you for the privilege to be part of it. We pray this in your name. Amen.